Hebrews chapter 7, we left off in, in verse 16. We're going to pick up in 17. It says, For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. I want you to focus with me for a moment this morning on verse 18 and 19. It's going to be very important to our entire time together. They say the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. Just let that sink in. And it says this, it says, And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And that is our lesson this morning, is that Jesus is that better hope. Jesus is a better hope. All right, just want to share uh, some reasons that he's a better hope with you this morning. And here's the first. I want you to understand that uh, Jesus is a better hope because in Jesus, we have free and unfettered access to God. In Jesus, we have free and unfettered access to God. It says, again in verse 19, and a better hope, that's Jesus, is introduced by which we draw near to God. And and, and so, uh, a couple weeks ago, we introduced this thought to you that the old covenant, as it says here uh, in verse 18, the former regulation could only cover wrongdoings. Remember? The old covenant, the former regulation, the the only power it had was to cover wrongdoing. So it could cover wrong, but it had no power to make us right. It had no power to to perfect us. It had no power to make us holy. And that's the great problem, because God is holy. Because God is is perfect, right? And, And you go back to Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve and all of humanity since we were cast out of God's presence because of our, our sin. They had become imperfect and God was perfect. And so, so death entered the world because when you're not in God's presence, you don't have God's life. 
When you're separated from God's presence, you are separated from the life of God. When separated from the person of God, you're separated from the life of God. So death entered the world, and it had to because that's the consequence of sin. God God had laid it out clearly. He said, for the wages of of sin is death. He, He told them specifically, don't do this or you will surely die. They didn't understand that, that, that in God's perfection, he could not have anything imperfect in his presence, so they were cast out of his presence. And, and when they didn't get God's presence, they didn't get God's life and death into the world. And so, so uh, they, they're, they're shamed. They're ashamed of what they've done. Sin is shameful. They begin to look at one another and say, oh, what have we done? We now understand what evil is. They're ashamed of their nakedness. And so, so, so God covers them. Innocent victim's blood, the blood of an animal is shed, and God makes skins for them to cover them. I know we think of fig leaves and those kind of things, and and that's kind of how they began to cover, but God makes skins for them to cover their nakedness and to cover their shame. And the Old Covenant is born. The Old Covenant is born. Animals are sacrificed to cover the sins of mankind. That's, that, that, that's the old covenant. That's, that's where we are. That's the former regulation. And though it covered the wrong, it had no power to make right. Uh, the, it had no power to make perfect. And so there was still separation. And that's why priests existed. People had to, to, to come to them. Because God was holy. Here's the problem though. They weren't. Even the priests themselves weren't holy. They, they, had, to make, they had to make coverings. Okay, they had to make sacrifices for their own sins before they could go make coverings for, for the people's sins. And I just, I thought about this this week. Can you imagine the fear there? That you were entering into the presence. This is why on the Day of Atonement it was a big deal for the high priest. Can you imagine the fear involved when you have to go before the presence of a perfect God and you know that you're not? Can you imagine the trembling? The Bible says, for, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? But, but I, I think it goes beyond that. I, just the fear of, of life and the fear of God that's there. It was distance. It was, it was separations. Ephesians 2, uh, 12 and 13 is written to, and, and, and specifically, um, it's talking about Gentiles and what life uh, apart from Christ is like. But I, I think it has a lot to say to Jewish people as well, because anyone without Christ, right? Anyone without Christ has that separation. And so I just want you to read this. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Get this, without hope and without God in the world. And that's the point our author makes. He says the old covenant, the the old way, the, the former regulation, verse 18, there's no access there. There's no, there's no hope there. There's just distance. But Jesus is a better hope. In Jesus we have hope because he has the power to make us right. He has the power to make us perfect. He has the power to make us holy. And because he has that power, the distance is gone. And because the distance is gone, we can draw near to God freely, unfettered. Without restraint. That's the hope we have in Christ. We get God because of Jesus. That is the hope we have. So we start there. Jesus is a better hope. Secondly, I want you to see Jesus is a better hope because in Jesus 
we have a guarantee of grace. In Jesus, we have a a guarantee of grace. Verse 22 and 23, it says, Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, uh, we'll we'll just stop there. I'll just read verse 22. Jesus has become the guarantee of a a better covenant. That word guarantee in Greek, it literally means surety. That that Jesus has ensured in himself a a new covenant, meaning that he's become the responsible party for for this new covenant. And and this new covenant is is about grace, right? He's become responsible for our sin and and our guilt. So uh, the wages of sin is death. That's what we're responsible for. Jesus steps in on our behalf and basically says, listen, I'm going to pay that penalty for you. Okay, it's kind of like... I don't, I don't know a good way to put it. <laughs> I, I, I'd say co-signing, but that's not even enough. Jesus takes our sin note, our sin penalty, which is death, and he actually doesn't co-sign. He takes us all off the note altogether, and he pledges himself in our place. And he says, I've got this. You owe nothing. I've fully covered it. It's It's done. And then he goes beyond that because he doesn't just um, he, he he doesn't just pay it off he he doesn't just cover um, the sin then then he gives us himself and and when you begin to think about the the totality of that um, that that is what we speak of of a covenant of grace right because mercy mercy is simply not getting something you deserve. Right? So you deserve death, you didn't get death. Well, that's mercy, right? So there's mercy in there. We're not going to get death. But, but grace is the fact that not only do we not get death, but we get life. Right? We get God's eternal life. We get Christ's life. And, and so in Christ, we have this guarantee of grace. We have a guarantee that we get forgiveness. We have a guarantee that, that we get our, our wrongs covered. We have a guarantee that in Him, we, we don't just get our wrongs covered, but we're actually made right, completely right, forever right. Hebrews 10 says it this way, Hebrews 10, 14. It says, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, you've got to get this. One sacrifice Christ made perfect forever those that are being made holy. So there's past tense and there's present tense. There's ongoing, you're being made holy, but you've already been made holy. Do you follow me? That, that where we are right now in life is we are living out this thing that God has already declared that we are. That's the beauty. We stand before God and we're already righteous and God is still making us righteous to this day. It's awesome. It's beautiful. That's what we have in Christ. This, this covenant of grace. It's already made you perfect, but he's also making you perfect. Jesus ensures that the project that God has begun in you will indeed be finished. Number three, Jesus is a better hope because in Jesus we have permanent forgiveness. And we're just building off that second point now. In Jesus we have permanent forgiveness. Verse 23 through 25, it says, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Because Jesus lives forever, 
Because he has conquered the grave because of Easter, because the sign of Jonah has been fulfilled, because of the resurrection, because of the empty tomb, because he lives, he has a permanent priesthood, not a temporary one. That's the point. All these other guys, they had this temporary priesthood, and they they all died. But because of the empty tomb, because of Easter, um, Jesus' priesthood is permanent. It's never ceasing. It's never ending. And because of that, he's able to save completely those that come to God through him. And oh, by the way, there's no other way to come to God. Have you thought recently you've been saved completely? You ever felt like maybe you're just saved partially? Right? Because you come to church and, and man, let's be honest, we, we get real good at, 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 we almost preach legalism, you know? We preach morality and, and when you preach morality and you go to church, if you're raised under that, that kind of, that kind of uh, uh, teaching on a regular basis and it's just morality, 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 well, guess what? We're failures at morality, right? Amen? I mean, that, that's why we have grace because we need Jesus because we all fail all the time. And, and so you, you keep coming and you, you, you begin to think, well, maybe I'm not completely saved. Right? Maybe Jesus just saved the spiritual part of me. (laughs) Saved completely. Saved completely because of Christ's permanent priesthood. Because he lives forever. His priesthood is permanent. Because the eternal one shed his blood, our forgiveness is everlasting. Again, Hebrews 10.14, for by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever. Those that are being made holy. It's the gravity that sinks in, made perfect forever. The eternal, sinless one made a one-time sacrifice that has eternally covered your sins and made you right. The eternal, sinless one made a one-time sacrifice that has eternally covered your sins and made you right. Jesus says it's finished. That's your record. In Christ. That is your record. You are righteous. How many felt that way when they walked through the doors this morning? How many people feel tension in their lives there? Because they know that God has declared them righteous, but they don't feel righteous. You feel that tension ever? Guess what that tension's called? Grace. It's called grace. That's the power of grace. You have been made righteous even though, as of yet, not everything that you do is righteous. That's the power of grace. That is the power of Christ on display in our lives. It has a permanent effect. And, and I'm, I'm going to leave you with this last point. I almost left it out, but I just couldn't. In Jesus, we have a powerful priest. Jesus is a better hope because in Jesus we have a powerful priest. Um, verse 18, it says, The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. And then, and then in verse 28, it says, For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who's been made perfect forever. That's a real strong word for God to use. You know what I'm saying? Anybody grow up playing sports or anything like that with their friends? Anybody do that? Um, I lived in a neighborhood. I've shared this before. Nobody on my block went to church at all. 
uh, we just all hung out and played sports all the time. That's what we did. And so um, growing up, and, and I've also shared with you, like I was, I, I was, I was like the shortest kid on my block forever. Um, it wasn't until like the, the, the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade that I grew like six inches and finally was taller than my mom for the first time. Praise Jesus. Um, and uh, I know, and, and we say that God doesn't listen to the prayers of, of unrepentant people, but I'm just saying it happened. So, uh, and, uh, and so... Here, here's the deal. Was that short kid, you know, growing up, always playing sports. We played basketball. I had a big basketball goal. We had a big light outside. So everybody was at my house, and we would play for hours and hours and hours. You know, you know what I heard a lot as a, as a little shortest kid? You know what I heard a whole lot? I'm going to tell you what I heard a whole lot. Get that weak stuff out of here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'd, I'd try to throw up a shot, and everybody could block my shot. Man, I'm like this tall, you know? I mean, when you're this tall playing basketball, everybody can block your shot. I had to learn how to like use the rim as like my helper, so I would dribble around people under the rim and do these ridiculous shots because that was the only way nobody could block me, right? Get that weak stuff out of here. And you know what God says in his word? You know what God says about the priesthood? You know what Jesus comes and says? He says, listen, you've got to get that weak stuff out of here. You've got to get that weak stuff out of here. I need you to understand that the, the old regime, that the old priesthood, the former regulation had zero power. Right? The, the old guys, the old priests, they were powerless. They were just like you and me. They were sinners that had to make sacrifices for themselves. They were weak, but Jesus was powerful. He is powerful. He's our high priest, the all-powerful conqueror of sin and death. Now, you just think about the gravity of this. So here's the old regime. What can they do to help you? What can they do to help you with what's going on in your life? What's going to happen? You're going to go to them, and and what are they going to do? They're going to kill an animal for you? Does that actually change your situation? Does does the blood of an animal have any power to change what's going on in your life? And the answer is no. So it's like saying, hey, go home and say 20 Hail Marys. How's that going to help? How's that going to help you? There's no power behind that. But Christ has the power to change everything. And he has the power to change your circumstances. He has the power to calm the storms of life. But he also has the power to calm you and walk you through the storm of life. Because sometimes that is God's plan for you. Because you know what? James tells us that it's through trials that we become more like Christ and we gain this thing called maturity. You know what maturity is? It's realizing God's ever presence in your life. It's realizing that no matter what life throws your way, that you're going to be okay because the maker of the universe is walking with you through it and that he is your source of strength, not yourself, not your spouse, not your children, that he is your source of strength. And so James says that we should consider it pure joy when we face the trials of life because those trials are leading us into Christ. They're leading us into maturity. They're making us more like Jesus. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Jesus is a better hope. Jesus is a better hope. He's more powerful. All right? So what do we do? We start to kind of understand um, uh, who who Christ is and what this priesthood is like. I'm going to give you um, some hopes for you, okay? And so you can count this as homework, uh, but these are my hopes for you as you study a passage like this. Um, and, and these are some things I pray that we'll try to apply uh, this week. Number one, uh, I, would, I would pray this week that you would really act like you have access, right? Because, because of Christ, we, we have 
access to God. Free and unfettered access to God. That, that, that's what we have. Because of Christ, we now get to draw near to God. So because you have the access, I would, I would implore you, use it. Right? Use it. And, and, and don't, don't waste it. He, he's not too busy. It's not too small of a problem. If it matters to you, it matters to him. God cares about you. He loves you. He sent Jesus so you could be reconciled to him. So you could have free access to him. So act like you have that access. So here's my challenge to you this week. Ready? Pray about everything. Just write it down. I want you to pray about everything. You say, Pastor, that sounds ridiculous. I'm just going to pray about the real big stuff. I'm going to challenge you. If it's important to you, it's important to God. Pray about everything. And here's, here's the best example I can give you. Uh, so we've got four children. My wife stays at home with, with four children. Now one of them goes away. So she's still at home with three children. This is her life. Uh, it, is, it is our children. This is, this is her calling currently in life, and she's investing in those kids. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you that she's, she's there for you know, eight hours a day. I got eight minutes, right? I got eight minutes, and I'm like, I'm losing my mind. She leaves for eight minutes, and I've got to call her just to talk to an adult. You know what I'm saying? Have an adult conversation. And so I was talking with some friends of mine in a similar situation. They'll be at work all day or whatever, come home. Wife has been with, with their stay-at-home wife with all their children. And they say, I, like, sometimes I'm just so tired, and I sit down at the table, and then all of a sudden it's like, and she just tells me everything that happened that day. And it's like all these things on her mind, they all just come out in this streaming flow of consciousness. What do I do? I said, you suck it up and listen, man. You weren't there for eight hours. You know what I'm saying? You praise God that she's there and you were at work. But you know what that wife is is trying to do? She's trying to talk to her spouse about everything that happened that day about everything that happened in the life of the kids, about everything that was going on, about the problems that she faced and the difficulties that she had. She wants to share it all. Listen to me. That's a picture of how we're meant to be with God. That's a portrait of how we're, we're not meant to go through this thing called life and, and, and keep it all in. <laughs> We're meant to share it all with God. Everything. Everything that we're... That's why it says pray without ceasing, guys. I want to challenge you this week. Pray about everything. Act like you have access. Number two, um, I want to encourage you to accept God's grace. Accept God's grace. We're doing a study on grace. We actually wrap it up in our small group this week. uh, And it's called One Way Love. It's called one-way love because that's what grace is. Grace isn't something that you get to, to, to earn. It's not something that you get to do back. God loves you the way you are. Right, I, I heard Matt Chandler uh, last week. It, it was just awesome. He was telling people, he just looked at them in love. And he said, some of you need to get over yourself. Some of you need to get over yourself because you walk around feeling bad about you're such a horrible person. He's like, do you not think God knew what he was getting when he, when he chose you? You don't think the one that knows all things knew that you were going to struggle and knew that you were going to fail, and yet he still went to the cross? If you're struggling with doubt or, or sin or guilt or shame, then look to Jesus on the cross because he says, I love you this much and I know who you are. Who you're going to be is not a surprise to me. I knew exactly what I was getting and I choose you. Who? Accept that grace. Just accept that grace that flows into this, this next one. Get over your guilt. Right? 
Get, get over your guilt. Somebody says, Pastor, that just doesn't sound very spiritual to get over your guilt. You know what's not very spiritual? is not to trust God and take him at his word. That's not very spiritual. And when God says you're forgiven, and yet you continue to talk to him about the same thing over and over, God, I'm so sorry. He's like, I forgave you, but God, I'm so sorry. I really blew it. I really messed up. We just keep having the same conversation. God is like, I heard you the first time. And the first time you came to me, what I was trying to say to you is I've covered it. I covered it this time and next time and the time after that. I've got you because I'm God. That's who I am. Do you know how empowering that is? Like, like, like hear me, because as Christians, I know so many Christians that they're almost afraid to live because they think they're going to fail, Right? Like, they don't want to take any risks. They don't want to put themselves out there because they might fail uh, morally, spiritually, just physically. And we live these little bubble tentative lives. I'm just going to have a lot of Christian friends. Everybody's going to lift me up. So what happens is the gospel gets lost. We're not making disciples. We're not impacting the world. Hear me, guys. God's grace is an invitation to fail. It's an invitation for you to go and give all that you have and not be worried of failure. Because Christ has conquered, you can fail. Whew. Just, just let that begin to sink in a little bit. Get rid of your guilt. Guys, that, that, that gives me this freedom to, to go and, and, and take big risks for God. Not for my name's sake. But I, I can run and, and I can mess up. And I can get back up and know that that mess up's not the end of the story. Because of God's grace. Here's the last thing I'd share with you, okay? I said it two weeks ago. It was the point. You can run to Jesus with your failures. You can run to him with your family. You can run to him with your hopes, with your dreams. So my, my encouragement to you is keep running to Jesus. Now, here's our tendency, all right? Our tendency is exactly the opposite. And that's, that's tragedy as Christians. But we tend to run to our own methods, and to our own problem-solving abilities. We tend to run to our Christian self-help books. And by the way, don't, don't get confused, friends. There are tons of Christian self-help books out there, right? I mean, they're, they're in the inspirational aisle. They are full of self-help stuff. Do this, do this, do this, and you will feel the presence of God. You know how you feel the presence of God? You draw near to the presence of God. You draw near to Him, and you have the access. So use the access, right? Draw near to God. Just keep running to him on a regular basis and you're going to find you're going to find all the fulfillment that your heart longs for. He is the answer because Jesus is better. All right. Do you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you are. Thank you for the way that you have loved us. Thank you for the fact that you still intercede for us. Thank you for saving us completely. Thank you for not being weak, but being strong and powerful. Thank you for choosing weak objects like us and and, and living strongly in us for your glory and your namesake, not for our credit. And and we we, we, we boast in you this morning, Jesus, and in you is where we want to be found. And so, Father, I'm going to pray right now for every single person here some have been doing well at running to you. Some, some this morning walked through these doors and, and the truth is they, they walked through the doors with you because they have been found in you. 
It's where they've been running to. You're, you're their tower. You're the refuge. That's where they've been spending their time this week. But God, some of us here, some of us here were running to our own solutions. Some of us here, we were trying to be the strong tower. And, and a lot of times, God, when we try to be the strong tower, you let us fail miserably to remind us that you are the strong tower, not us. But Father, for each failure in the room, for each struggle in the room, would you just remind us this morning that there is grace that is greater than that sin. There is grace that is greater than that sin. Would you help us to let go and to get over that guilt, get over that shame? Some people in this room have prayed about the same sin hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Some, some have gotten on that spiritual phone and just said the same thing. Just called, just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God, you know that we're sorry. You know our hearts. Would you just give us peace about um, your finished work in us? That we've been declared righteous and that you are making us righteous. We are holy and you're calling us to be holy. You're making us holy. I pray that we live all those things out this morning as we receive your grace, Lord. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen.